Are you ready for a wild and hilarious ride through world of crime? Then look no further because our podcast, Two Boxes of Wine and a Crime, is here. Join me, Tasha, and me, Trisha, two ex-cons who love wine, coke, and crime, as we unravel cold case murder cases drunk off our ass. Each episode, we invite you to grab a box of wine, as we use Google, humor, and of course, cocaine, to crack the toughest unsolved crimes drunk off our ass. <laughs> From small town homicides to 9-11, we have it all figured out. Or at least we think we do. <laughs> Listen as the mystery deepens, the laughter gets louder, and of course, cocaine, and the wine starts flowing drunk off our ass in our entertaining, illegal, an unforgettable podcast. So join me, Tasha, and me, Trisha, on a coke-fueled journey to serve justice with two boxes of wine and a crime. Available now on your favorite podcast app. Subscribe and tune in every Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for new episodes. Drunk off our ass. <laughs> I remember being in um, uh, as a Peter O'Toole gave a, uh, an interview at the Galway Film Flat. This is a uh, a few years before his death I Really entertaining so. He's very erudite A great Great story Yeah well He was a great storyteller But before he came out on stage There was a complete mess up With the microphones And uh, His microphone was on Before he came out on stage And he was doing what Probably all good actors do And he was clearing his throat In You know Before he came out on stage And everyone <laughs> in the, Yeah In the packed house <laughs> Oh, and they were just, you know, everyone was just, everyone was just looking at you going, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, this is, it was just an honest mistake by someone, but it was really something that you might see in a mockumentary. I'll use small words that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber. For having listened to it. What did you say? You are a sad, strange little man. Don't call me stupid. Hello, and welcome to The Best Bits, a movie podcast where each week we pick our favourite scenes from randomly selected and weirdly specific themes. This is your co-host, Will, a writer of three films plus a Christmas special, and I'm joined, once again, by our co-host and writer of three one and a bit films, and Take three two. And a bit episodes of TV. <laughs> this is your co-host, <laughs> Kevin. Yes, I'm here. Kevin, how are you? Everybody knows that I've only written God, one film. Never. I don't need you to keep telling them that, Will. <laughs> well, no. The truth is, you've written more than one film. It's just like you've had one feature film, one and a bit feature films produced. That's a big difference. Uh, that's that's one of so the nicest things anyone's stuff. ever said to me. That's also one of the saddest things I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> that's more like come here that's more than a lot of people have been have had produced Kevin so um, yeah you're, you're, we're, we're all damn lucky if we get anything made Kevin what's the crack how are you getting on I'm fantastic I'm absolutely stark bollock naked and I'm ready to go <laughs> oh god um, you know what I've been doing do you know what I've been doing for the, la- for the weekend um, you have been watching a lot of mockumentary scenes of one or two one or, films actually I've watched uh, the complete film and I've watched lots of scenes so um, yeah so that's what I've been doing well, you know not at the weekend at night at do you want to know what I've been doing and um, what have I've you been, been doing I've been editing fight scenes non-stop <laughs> just you know I, I think we recorded fight scenes a month ago <laughs> We've, we recorded it a month ago and you're still editing it so I pre- I, I hope that whoever's listening to this will uh, 
appreciate the amount of effort that Kevin actually has put into fight scenes I, because you never get the same amount of effort from me. <laughs> when I listened back to me going, <laughs> we're going to go 12 rounds, I thought, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Stop it. Why did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> when you said it to me beforehand, I just went... 12 rounds Jesus Christ <laughs> you're getting yourself into trouble here man I should have just said oh, 3 no. rounds oh god <laughs> well I am not going to, he's well I hopefully I won't make the same mistake tonight and I am going to go through a very breezy light um, non-film professor-ish um, uh, chat uh, through my favourite uh, mockumentary well, scenes well I can That's my plan tell you that this is the first time that I've ever gotten on the mic and not had a scene in mind uh, and this isn't me like setting you up for like me to, to pull a fast one I genuinely could pick a number of ones and I don't know at this moment still as we're recording I don't know what I'm going to pick so I was going to basically hope that you had some good suggestions and then I would just pinch those and go yeah that's my one as well uh, so I'm totally unprepared well, for this episode as well man I'm so glad you said that because Honestly, I I had a tough time. Like, right up to the record of this, I was going through scenes and I was kind of going, well, what's what's my best bit? So I think the way I'm going to handle it is I'm going to just present several scenes that stood out to me and a kind of a an idea that became very uh, present in my mind when that stood out to me when I was watching some of these films over the weekend and I just went, oh, I'd like to talk about that ultimately, hopefully. Best way to do it. But before I get into that... I want, I well, I know, because I want insider knowledge, that you actually have made a mockumentary in the past, <laughs> haven't you? I did, yeah. Uh, in in college, we did um, student films. We shot them on 16mm film. And uh, the very first thing that I ever made was a, a mock doc called The Making of Scared Stiff. And it was about, um, okay. it was basically like a fake bonus features uh, documentary on a, a fictional horror film that had gone called Scared Stiff, that had gone tits up, and uh, all the bullshit that was being presented um, by the director and, and the cast and crew, uh, talking about what a wonderful experience they had, blah, blah, blah. Very easy, sort of like low-hanging fruit. Uh, but yeah, it got into the Cork Film Festival. It was an absolute blast to make. Uh, but yeah, it was a mockumentary. Right. And it's not particularly that good. I don't actually have any... Um, copies of it like uh, on a hard drive that I could cut into this or give to you to cut in I've got it on uh, 60 yeah. millimeter film I've got it on DV and I've got it on tape so thankfully there's no clip <laughs> to, to play oh man I was thinking about uh, the, the mockumentary form and I was thinking that it's it's a go-to one for student filmmakers because it's easy to be a little bit um satirical I suppose I suppose it's satirical yeah and comedic and it's kind of like play up tropes and genres uh, and um, things that um, that are prevalent in films and whatnot. It's just easy juxtaposition between what's real and what's fake. So you immediately get those yeah. laughs. Um, and I think it lends itself really, really favourably to um, comedy mockumentaries. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even though it's not, you know, uh, it's not exclusive to to comedy, the, the mockumentary. You know, there's been so many... Oh. But I was wondering, as you're saying that, would you count the Blair Witch as a mockumentary? Oh, I would. I no, I I think it's found footage. I in my head, I'm putting. I'm avoiding the found footage genre because I think 
that's a whole topic to it itself. It feels like, like a much Holocaust. more important phone footage film than in any way sort of like a, a blurry version of a mockumentary, I suppose. Yeah, like they're a whole, they're, they're a different, and, and they lend themselves to the horror genre. You know, whereas the mockumentary lends itself to easily, more easily to the comedy genre, the, the found footage. Like you, there's Cannibal Holocaust, there's Cloverfield, I suppose, and Paranormal Activity, Blair Witch, doesn't, you know, all of those. Chronicle is kind of, Chronicle is kind of a superhero horror, I would say, maybe. Trollhunter is another one. Yeah, definitely. Those are found footage, aren't they? You don't really have the the, the um, narrator as part of the, um, the, the storyline, as it were. But then threads as well. I was and wondering the, whether that would count as a mockumentary. Because when you hear mockumentary, you that's good. well, I do anyway. I immediately think uh, comedy, like ironic comedies. Mm-hmm. But fake documentaries um, like Threads or um, uh, even Ghost Watch. I don't know what to do. Should we go back upstairs and do... The BBC yes. um, sort of a Orson Welles-ish inspired uh, prank that was done, which scared the bejesus out of me when I saw it as a kid. Um, I wonder whether that mm-hmm. would count. Uh, it kind, it kind of, I, it's definitely when when you uh, when you evoke the 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 name Orson Welles, you're kind of evoking kind of like one of the originators of this genre in a way. And I was going to bring it up, and I'm kind of glad you mentioned. It. I was kind of saying, will I bring it up because it's not really mockumentary? But I think it's worth mentioning because in this century, um, Orson Welles's infamous you know radio broadcast of War of the Worlds is, I think, a big influence on on this prank because they're practical jokes, right? They're they're jokes. They're there, there's you know, mockumentaries are, are about someone's being tricked along the way, right? And um, you know, and it's about capturing kind of like reality well, or, or making someone feel, feel like, like reality is happening. Not, not always, because you do have the ones where not yeah, all of them. No, everyone is an actor in it. But I get what you mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But everyone's an actor. But you know what the gas thing about the whole Orson Welles thing is uh, the, that uh, War of the Worlds broadcast is that you know it's kind of famous that you know people listens to this broadcast at the time. Um, and it was a broadcast basically where uh, a regular radio show was interrupted and they just went to a, a reporter in the field who says, oh my God, this, is this objects falling from the sky and these aliens basically start killing everyone. And in real life, um, several people were killed. You know, you know, people thought this was happening for real and um, it all went a bit uh, pear-shaped and the following few days, Orson Welles had to come on air and apologise. But did you know, and this is the mad thing, is that that same broadcast was re not was adapted for a, in South America several times over the coming decades and the same thing happened so wow. like it was done in Brazil and Chile yeah and i think in Chile people did die i think there was a riot i think people did take to the streets on the night and um, there were deaths like you know well, just you know to bring it back to ghostwatch when i was watching that this was 1993 or 92 i think it was um and I was obviously like a kid who didn't have any sense or any access to the internet. So when when I was watching that, and Sarah Green, who was um, presenter of children's television, mm-hmm. uh, when she disappeared at the end of it, I was thinking, you know, it's going to 
pop up on the news. So sit around and, and wait for the news to come on to find out what's yeah. happened to Sarah Green. Because I was totally duped by that. So obviously I was a child. Yeah. So, but yeah, I can imagine how... A lot of people were. You implicitly trust uh, authority figures to be telling you the truth, which is probably why we've gotten into so much trouble yeah. over the last um, few years with uh, YouTube and, and all the bullshit that gets spewed on that. Yeah, it makes sense to me that people would get duped by uh, War of the Worlds recordings. It's re- that's actually a very, that's a really good point because it, it kind of relies on the fact that we are used to seeing kind of like stoic, um, serious, accurate information being portrayed to us in a documentary mm. form. But they're flipping this and they're having us, they're basically kind of presenting it. They're, they're trying to trick us in some of these films. They're trying to trick us. Like, have you ever seen, for instance, and I was, I watched this actually at the weekend, um, Peter Jackson's mockumentary called Forgotten Silver. Behind me is the house of an elderly lady called Hannah McKenzie. What I found sitting right here was an old chest and I found the most extraordinary collection of films. I had no way of realising the significance of these films at the time. Here, seen for the very first time, is the only motion picture film shot by a New Zealander at Gallipoli. Brooks' camera focuses on the human face of warfare. This unknown genius who died in obscurity and who now belongs, you know, in the pantheon of of great cinema artists and innovators. It's a treasure trove of major historic importance worldwide. I didn't know he had a, a mockumentary. Oh man, it's so well worth watching. He may in the mid nineties, right? Um, as he was waiting for, I think it was before the Frighteners or something like that. He basically had. No, I'm completely um, misremembering this information because this is information from years ago. Um, he basically had the time and the means to be able to just kind of like he 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 got a notion of doing this mockumentary and he created this story and it's really good about. Um, uh, he, he's basically discovered in his neighbours, in Peter Jackson's real life neighbours, home neighbours uh, garden, in her shed, he found a chest of like old 35mm footage, you know, and it was just on the cusp of being disintegrating. And he takes it to the to the, the New Zealand Film Institute and had it, have it, ha, has it restored and, um, and basically what he finds is uh, a treasure trove of footage of a man who basically um, invented, he pioneered international cinema. And by this one guy called Colin McKenzie in New Zealand, and he basically he basically got there before everyone else. He he invented oh, first you. of all he made his own he made his own film stock. He was the first man to make colorized film. He was the first man to do talkies. Even I was he getting was the first man as you were saying that. I was thinking, is that true? <laughs> yeah, it's, but you would watch it. But the gasting thing about it is, if if you watch it and it's on YouTube, it's well worth a watch. If, if you watch it, you will actually kind of go, oh, hang on a second, is this real? And the the first time. Uh, that you kind of realise that this might be a bit of a joke is when they're interviewing Colin, McKen- uh, Colin McKenzie's like uh, fictional granddaughter and she's talking about how he cr- how he made film stock or the emulsion using eggs so he would <laughs> he had to use it was like a, two, a dozen eggs for a foot of film stock well he was clever enough to make his own film he got flax leaves from down the swamp the back of the farm he boiled them and boiled them turned that into cellulose nitrate and then he had to find something for the emulsion and he found eggs. Not eggs, egg whites. He used the egg albumin process, which they used in the 19th century for making uh, materials photosensitive. Um, he adapted that, though, to use for moving images. Trouble was that it took 12 eggs to make one minute of film 
That's all right, as long as he was making short films. Colin was caught red-handed. The precocious boy had been planning the world's first feature-length film. Colin's father flew into a rage. This was an affront to his dignity. He ranted and he raved, and he smashed up all of Colin's gear. Everything was destroyed. Everything, all his gear, except the camera, which his clever mother had hidden. And you just know when that happens, you go, I just like someone's <laughs> taking a piss here. This is, this is a joke. But it's very convincing. And he recreated, he mocked up that, fo- that footage. So it's actually very creative filmmaking by Peter Jackson in this period, just before the Frighteners or just after Brain Dead and, and all those sort he of went films. on. he went on from that to make They Shall Not Grow Old, which uh, is also a mockumentary by all accounts. i don't think so yeah (laughs) i haven't seen that but i just wanted to basically share i wanted to share some of some of my kind of favorite scenes that i've seen and the first one i want to go to is a mockumentary from 2014 and it is by jermaine clement and (laughs) taika watiti who went on to do i don't know they, they actually disappeared off the map after this they did nothing after 2014 yeah. Um, I'm joking, you know, take about you know, they're huge. And it's what we do in the shadows. Very good. Um, you've seen this, Kevin. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. It and it's, if anyone, for anyone listening who doesn't know what we do in the shadows is a mockumentary about vampire housemates. And they're just basically trying to cope with the complexities of modern life. And it's a show. And like, and they're oh yeah, they're trying to like show their newly turned hipster like vampire kind of some of the perks of being undead, um, and it's so funny, <laughs> it's so wonderful, um, and the scene, my best bit from that film, is the first few minutes of that film is the introduction to this world. Yes, nighttime. So now I'm going to wake up my flatmates. I really love living in a flatting situation. Wake up! Wake up, everyone! I like to hang out with other vampires. I like to company. Awaken! Awakey, wakey! Where we have um, one of the... I can't remember the name of all the vampires, but we have Taika Watiti is kind of like the really kind of like clean and thoughtful and he's the, the the kind of the roommate that's kind of on top of things and he's leading us through this world um, and showing us, introducing us to all the different roommates and How was your night last night? I transformed into a dog and had sex. Cool. We're going to have a little flat meeting in the kitchen in about 15 minutes, okay? Okay. Okay. What's gas is they're, they're all different. All the different roommates are different versions of, of like cinematic <laughs> vampires. It's the it's the Nosferatu guy that steals the show for me. He's sort of like a complete psycho. Yeah. <laughs> Peter. 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 Peter, wake up. It's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. It's brilliant. Like Jermaine Clemens is kind of like a Gary Oldman, Dra- Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, you know, Gary yeah. Oldman. Ladislav! Oh. Sorry, sorry. Do you know they, what they were going to call the sequel to that? But they never made it. Obviously, they, they did the what? TV show, but they had a, a sequel that they were talking about. <laughs> and you know what it was going to be called? What? Werewolves. Do you get it? Werewolves. Yeah, we are wolves, so it's werewolves. werewolves. Oh, God. I thought that was genius. You'd you... almost have to make the film for that <laughs> title alone. It's Count Fegula. 
Hey, 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 don't swear. Sorry, they, they, yeah. we're werewolves, not swear. What are we? But you know what I love about this film is that it really straddles the line between comedy and horror because the aesthetic, the, You're the look of the story, it's terrifying. It's not scary at all. Don't be silly. Well, hang on a second. Peter, the Nosferatu guy, scared. When, when Taika Waititi's character pulls back that his stone <laughs> lid of his, his chamber and I see Nosferatu <laughs> lying there in repose and he wakes up and you just hear <sighs> and even Taika Waititi is kind of a little bit, okay, Peter, okay, you know, maybe you should clean up around here, Peter, you know, it's just, a, is this a spinal yeah. column? Um, I find that terrifying, <laughs> but it's good. It is good. Um, That's not going to be from my and, pick though. Uh, so, um, okay, yeah, okay. I, I really love that film, but uh, yeah, uh, keep going. I, I'm, I'm gonna pick and choose here. So, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Well, the next place I'm going to, and I'm kind of going straight. Like, there's other films. I'm, I'm just casually mentioning them, right? I'm not. I don't. Wanna, I'm just kind of saying these are other mockumentaries out there that I also enjoy. And I think before, so the other notable ones that I kind of want to just mention is like Popstar. I think that's a great, oh, yes, that's a good. really fun mockumentary. Also, what the best scene from Popstar's Never Stop, Never Stopping is a deleted scene. And it, it, I don't know why they cut it. I assume because it was so sort of like over the top, but it's the, um, the, the fuck you song that uh, they're singing at the, the children's concert. And it is absolutely fucking hilarious where they're, they're singing like they're getting all these kids to sing along it's like I'm going to live forever and I'm going to dig your grave till the job is done yeah <laughs> all these children singing like Very good. If, if your teacher's been a grump of sores you just look them in the face and say fuck off <laughs> yeah man I haven't fuck. seen this you have to watch it it's, it's my favourite scene from that um, from that film and it's cut from the film but yeah, that's a brilliant um, mock doc. Yeah, oh, it is so, it is so, so funny. Oh, there's actually another one I have to mention. And it is a kind of parody of uh, The Beatles, which was made by Eric Idle in around 1978. But no, it was a, a, a TV special called uh, around a band called The Ruttles. And it came out and, and it features, and I have to notice it because it predates Spinal Tap, but it also has a host of amazing um, cameos, like from Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, John Belushi, Mick Jagger... George Harrison gave his blessing, so it's it's an interest. It's not totally it's not totally hilarious, but I definitely would say it is. It's it's a, an interesting kind of curious oddity. So that's worth checking out, and I'm sure it's on YouTube definitely. The Ruttle story is a legend, a living legend. Um. Oh yeah, I wanted to bring up one because. This was one, I'm only bringing it up because I actually enjoy, I've only seen it once in the cinema and I remember enjoying it in the cinema. But it's the only big budget animated mock doc. And do you know which one it is? Is it the end credits of Toy Story 2? 
No, this is the whole feature film is an actual mockumentary. And it surfs up the one starring Shia LaBeouf oh, and having Jeff Bridges about a surfing penguin. As soon as there was the first wave, there was the first surfer. You know, all you needed was like a piece of driftwood or a block of ice and you were off. And they were hooked, man. They were hooked. Yeah, it's actually it's actually a sweet, you know. It's you know, it's a, from that era of the mid noughties uh, animation films. It's actually, I not suppose bad. everybody back then was taking their cues from The Office, uh, the US version of The Office, which was really popular, and Modern Family, where and Parks yeah. and Rec, where everything felt like um, they were trying to do. That was a new form for the sitcoms in that uh, period. Was yeah. to create this sort of like omniscient. Uh, documentary crew that was following them around. I want to. There was one other one. There was one other mockumentary, and and it was genuinely at the at the beginning. I was thinking this. I kind of have to go to this because it's such. A, it was such a seminal moment for you. Not seminal, but it was such a wonderful cinematic moment, in which I remember watching this film in the cinema with a packed house, and everyone was just in hysterics from beginning to end and I was with them it was it's Borat Yagshamash my name is Borat I journalist for Kazakhstan my government sent me to USA to make a movie film please you look and I'm just wondering as you're saying that because you just took the words out of my mouth I'm just wondering whether we were in the same cinema together because I saw that in Cork and oh my god holy hell I came out of that screening in pain. I had never laughed for 90-odd minutes straight without a single breath. It was unreal. It's such a... Like, like no, I was in Galway, so we weren't in the same cinema. But I... Looking back on that, looking back on the first one, I know the sequels come out this year, but that first one, it's so brave. It's like like an act of a stunt. It was um, so dangerous what he was doing. It's like, it was so dangerous. It was like watching Evil Knievel because he was throwing himself into danger. And it was like, no, don't do this. Don't do this. From going into, from like, from the scene, which I almost picked, the scene in which he's in a, in a subway, in a, cho- in a subway uh, train. And he basically starts introducing himself to anyone and everyone in the train. Hello, my name is Borat. I'm uh, not American, I'm uh, new in town. Nice to meet you. Hello, nice to meet you. Hey, uh, what's your name? My name is Mind Your Own Fucking And this one guy walks in and he's got sunglasses and he's got denim and he's weathered and very beaten. And you know he's the guy you should not approach. And Borat gets up and he goes straight over and stands over and tries to kiss him. And oh my God, I'm surprised Sasha Baron Porn didn't get the shit kicked out of him. Well, hello, nice to meet you. And my name is Borat. Nice to meet you. Yo, get the fuck out of here before I break your jaw, bro. Yo, okay. Shut the fuck off. Okay. Fucking with the wrong one, man. Okay. Sorry. Um, and then he un- and then his suitcases <laughs> open up and chickens just are unleashed inside this package. It's insane. It's insane. All the memories are coming back from the different scenes, like when he was at when he was at the um was it the mayor's office or he was at some dignitary's office. And he said to him that, that the cheese on the cracker came from 
We are good friends, Boba. Yes? I hope so. It is a custom. Have a cheese at the start. Thank you. Uh, my wife, uh, she uh, make this cheese. Very nice. She make it uh, from a milk from her teeth. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's face weak. <laughs> He's trying not to... <laughs> <laughs> He's trying not to react. <laughs> oh my god, the pain! I remember as well, just like because you may not mention it, but the sequel—it's—it's <clears throat> it's very different. It's a lot more scripted. There's a moment in the sequel where, um, where he's at a uh, at a, a photocopier place, and the guy is demonstrating yeah. the ca- the camera. He's demonstrating—is it the camera? Yeah, the camera that has internet access, and he gets. On Right. <laughs> he gets onto porn, <laughs> and <laughs> and porn obviously doesn't have a clue what's going on, and he thinks, "Is that also dessert? Like it's going to be at the restaurant serving?" <laughs> it's just his line deliveries. Oh Jesus, he's fucking funny. He's so funny. <laughs> like it, his performance. Like he's so measured. The only time in that thing where I think I see him breaking, right? <laughs> and it's my favourite scene is when he goes for a driving lesson, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he meets this driving instructor and this guy is as tough as nails. You can just know he's as tough as nails. My name is Mike. I'm going to be your driving instructor. Welcome to our country, okay? Uh, my name is Borat. Okay, okay, good, good. Well, I'm not used to that, but that's fine. Now, you do know how to drive a little bit? Yes. Yes. Put it in D. What? Drive. Now, wait a second. Wait a second. Have you driven a car before? Yes, a many times. All right, let's go this way. Wait a minute. I don't want you to hit anybody. Use two hands now. What? Two hands. But then it looked like I am holding a gypsy while he eats my crumb. I don't care what it looks like. You use two hands when you drive, okay? But I admire the man he approaches. Yeah. And you can tell that Sasha, at the end of it, Sasha Baron Cohen admires him as well. Because everything Sasha... But at the start, you get the feeling that this guy is going to punch him before this is out. Because, you know, the way, the way things have gone, he's so... This, guy, this driving instructor seems so serious and so easily irritated that he's going to knock his lights out, and you know, if he pushes his buttons. But no matter what Borat does to try and throw him off, like Borat... Doesn't he, he ask him um, for advice on he, how to deal with road he, rage and something like, fuck your mother? <laughs> well, he, no, he's, he initiates road rage. Hey, don't look at me. Eat my teeth. We'll make a right turn up here. Don't look at me like that. I will eat your shit. Hey, you fuck my mother. Hey, hey, come on, you can't no, do he do before. You he look on me. That, okay, they're gonna throw us in jail. Me with you. you Why you in jail? He look on me. La 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 behind. You can't say and that. And even the time when he's passing a woman, <laughs> <laughs> there's this brilliant moment. It's so sexist where they're driving along and Boris a car passes them and has been driven by a woman. Look, there is a woman in a car. Can we follow her? And maybe make a sexy no, time with no, her. No, 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 get no, 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 no. Why not? Because a woman has a right to choose who she has sex with. What? How about that? Isn't that you amazing? Joke? There must be consent. How about that? <laughs> That's good, huh? It's not good for me. Oh, it is good. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe we'll have sexy time. And I love the way <laughs> I love the way the driving instructor even in that moment He's where like, it was yes. just like he could have easily gone for No, but he doesn't. He says he says he, what I love about him is that he says he says, No man, you need consent first. <laughs> you know, he says, Let's go make sexy time with this woman. And he says, No man, you need you need yeah. consent first. Isn't that a good thing? Oh god. And he holds it and you can see Shasta Baron Corn actually kind of warming to him. And he actually kinda of cracks at times. Like there's one or two times <clears throat> Sasha Baron Corn almost cracks. In the car. Okay. You want that drink? You can't drink that while you're driving. It's against, Why not? It's against the law. What? I like you. Do you like me? I do like you. You are my friend? You're a nice young man and I am your friend. You will be my boyfriend. Uh, yeah, I won't be your boyfriend. Why not? You do well, not I like can me. Be. Yeah, I can be. No boyfriend, yeah, I can. Man, it's just, it's, it's a the, great those scene. Films, because they also reveal sort of the, the quiet, like, decency of characters where some of them, he exposes yeah. sort of like the, the dark underbelly, but for some of them, you get these sort of like beautiful little insights into characters, like with the, the sequel, um, yeah. because that's the one that's very familiar to me right now, or fresh in my mind. There's um, mm-hmm. there's a babysitter, a black woman, who uh, uh, is giving advice to Sasha Baron Cohen's daughter on sort of self-worth and not sort of giving in to pressure to change herself, to get like massive breast implants or stuff like that. And uh, it's just really sweet. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that she's sort of like encouraging yeah. her. Or the sort of the old Jewish lady who uh, he comes in and he's basically like a, a raging anti-Semite. And rather than her like scolding him or whatever, she's basically sort of trying to, to show him that, look, I'm just, I'm uh, a, a good person and don't worry and you don't need to be afraid of me and all that kind of stuff. And it's so beautiful. It's so sort of like, yeah. like lovely. He ex- you're absolutely <clears throat> right. He exposes the inner person, like, you know, whether, you know, and conversely, you know, when he, in, in Bruno... Look at the four of us. We are so like the Sex and the City girls. Oh, no, we aren't either. Which one are you, Donnie? I ain't either one of them. I'm Donnie. That is such a Samantha thing to say. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's, it's, it's when... <laughs> You know, I think when it goes into the more scripted parts, this is so hard to even talk about. Like, what happened with the sequel is it feels it kind of leaned into the it leaned into the scripted, and I had to use the his daughter's character just because everyone knew who Borat was, and you know, it was just tougher. And um, I think when he's when he's when he's facing a real person drawing out real humanity in them, that's when it's beautiful. When you see. When you see something magical happening between these two people, and it's completely impro- improvised, one is a very, will, very conscious uh, performer, and the other is just a normal, regular human yeah. being. And when it works, magic happens, and it's just totally. special. And I can watch; I could put that scene on again now, and just and all, any of these scenes, and just be in his derricks. And yeah. um, I forgot how funny and he really, he really puts his alone. Where, um, oh, yeah, so oh my god. Do you know what the thing is as well? Uh, There were two types of movies where uh, if I watch them with my dad, we will be, we will be, need to be shifted because we cannot, we cannot breathe from laughing. And they're the sort of the, the, the spoof, like Naked Gun or Hot Shot type films. And mockumentaries, the really good mockumentaries, because the, the, the laughs are just so deep and so um severe that it, yeah, oh my God. 
the fertility dance as well in the yeah, second I mean, one, where um, she's <laughs> basically um, having her time of the month, and all these debutantes are watching her yeah. as. <laughs> it's so. I remember watching that with my dad. I think it was around Christmas time, and. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> he was genuinely like appalled. <laughs> and I couldn't breathe. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> oh, oh Will, God. this podcast is going to be unusable. <laughs> oh, I can't yeah, I stop laughing. <laughs> We can cut. We can cut out so much. We can cut out so much. Of it. And you remind me of another I'm scene in Borat that I just kind of. There's another scene in Borat that I just fucking love because it's so unexpected. It's when he's at this. He's at a a, a, a dinner. He's at a, a. He's being invited to a waspy community dinner. Dinner. Um. To a dinner with all these kind of well, you know, obviously, um, kind of upper class people, um, very conservative and very waspy. And everything's going quiet and he's, he, oh yeah, he's kind of like portraying, not portraying, but he's talking about his manners and he's learning his manners. I think that's what it is. And during the meal, he asks if he could go, excuses himself to go to the <laughs> toilet. And he goes, and when he returns, he's holding a plastic bag <laughs> with his shit on it. <laughs> but but uh. the surprising moment in that is the woman takes him I to the know, toilet. It's so and beautiful. She, Instructs it's weird him that it's beautiful, but and like how to, the fact that yeah, isn't it? But there was also a moment in that where he talked about that. Um, what was it? There was something about uh, he he made a remark about the two women being really beautiful, but not the third one. And I thought, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! Ah, oh, Jesus Christ! Oh <clears throat> God! <laughs> yeah, but listen, the way that I've been laughing at this was the way that the whole cinema was laughing at Borat when it came out. Yeah. I, I'll never forget it because I felt like... I remember when <clears throat> when they had the naked wrestling in the hotel room and they were showing stuff yeah. on screen <laughs> that it was best put in a horror movie and people were screaming and choking on laughter at the same time and it was just it was like yeah. bedlam it was absolute bedlam because people were still laughing about what, what they'd seen the- and and trying to catch their breath yeah. and still and more jokes were coming as they were running naked through the hotel and, yeah. and running into like <laughs> into elevators <laughs> and people like going, jesus christ their backs up against the wall and not trying to react oh <laughs> fuck me what <clears throat> What a lovely experience that was, you know, what, experiencing a film joy, in the cinema, a hilarious joy. film in the cinema. Yeah. And that wave, the wave of laughter, as you, as you said. And do you ever have a moment in a film where you, 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 you get in kinks at whatever happens on the screen? And a few minutes later, just as you set yourself down, it comes back and hits you again and you, you just <laughs> erupts. The laughter just erupts yeah. out of yourself and you're just doubling over laughing because you're trying to hold it in. And it's that film did it for me. Definitely. So where I want to bring us next, and this is where I've been kind of like, I took my wagon when I was trying to find my best bits. And I'm, you know, and it was, it came to one 
Un- undeniable name. And that name, of course, is Christopher Guest. I'm so glad you said it because I was sitting here waiting and thinking, when do I chip in? Because my favourite scene is coming from a Christopher Guest film. Uh, okay. And I wonder whether we have the same one. So where I'm going to is I'm taking a, a scene from each one of these uh, one of his, one of his kind of like his best films. Love it. And uh, the first one, which which is he he start wrote co wrote and starred in co starred in, but was directed by Rob Reiner. Rob, Rob Reiner, of course, is this is Spinal yeah. Tap, and we all know we all know what uh, the story behind Spinal Tap. It's you know it's uh, the story of Spinal Tap. It's about the story of a mock, a documentary, a fake documentary about this uh, English rock band who is kind of on the cusp of breaking up, but they're so silly and dumb and petulant and narcissistic that it's just kind of wonderful watching them fall apart and watching them, <laughs> watching, watching them just be complete morons. And, um, People thought you could that they were a real best. band, you know. People actually bought into yeah. it and thought that they were real. And you could take any scene, for, you could take nearly every other scene from this and it could be your best bit. And I went through a lot. I went through the whole thing, and I kind of I jumped and I skipped. But the one scene I came to that I just found was beautiful, and kind of typified everything about this film was the a scene where they're in the green room, their dressing room, and they're just about to go on stage. Right. Well, we've kept them white long enough. Let's do it, Tom. Come on, mate. Let's go, Mr. And what happens is the stage manager comes in, okay, guys, let's go. And they go out, yeah, woo, woo. And they're banging and sending. It's going to be a hot one, isn't it? It's going to be great. No, it's not an exit. It's not an exit. You don't want an exit. No, that's true. Oh, this way. I think so, though. Yeah, well, this way. Wait, this looks familiar, though. Listen. Really does. They get lost. Rock and roll. <laughs> Rock and roll. <laughs> they go wandering in circles around the inner. You're in the group that's playing tonight. You go right straight through this door here, down the hall. Yeah. Turn right. Yeah. And then there's a little jog there, about 30 feet. Jog to the left. I don't have time for that. Go straight okay. ahead. Go straight ahead. Yeah. Turn right the next two corners. And the first door you sign, authorized. Personnel only. Yeah. Open that door. That's the stage. You think so? You're authorized. You're musicians, guitars, aren't you? Yeah. All right. Thank that. you. Thank you very much. Rock and roll. All right. Rock and roll. Let's get it. Let's get it. No. Just see this way. This way. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. Let me go. Hello, Cleveland. Hello, Cleveland. And they even meet it. A janitor guy, and he says, Well, what way's the stage? He's going, and he gives them terrible directions, and they just they follow his right, and they end up right back with him again. Uh, you must have made a wrong turn. Uh, gotta go another way. Other way. Other way. What I love is this energy that they go out with. And this kind of like has kind of like um, stereotypical kind of uh, rocky Bravado. stuff, like you know, yeah, well, and then just you see that energy just 
just peter off and the and their crowd is waiting for him upstairs and they're just losing all that energy and when they when they get the new directors they try and rebuild that energy again they go yeah woo, woo, and it just fucking dissipates again and it's brilliant it's, so it's absolutely it's so brilliant and it's kind of like this kind of the structure of this film is like all this rock real rock energy and it's just the the the, the 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 balloon is just deflating it's just in exposing all eyes. the artifice of it yeah. isn't it and just how vulnerable <laughs> yeah. they really are uh, but yeah yeah true and 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 uh useless and how 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 completely innocent and clueless i suppose clueless is the right word they are they can't even make their way from their dressing room to the stage you know they're just completely clueless do you know what the, can I tell you what my pick is then? Yeah. Because it sort of has yes. the same similar energy in that uh, it's about the artifice sort of falling away. And it is from, um, from uh, For Your Consideration, the, uh, okay. the, I think it's the third one that he did. But it's when Catherine O'Hara's character, who has been tipped for the Oscar, basically loses the, the nomination. And Fred Willard, the sort of the, the amazing, fantastic Fred Willard, he turns up to interview mm-hmm. her uh, outside our house. And um, she is absolutely langers drunk after having her, her dreams dashed. Oh, wrong house. No, the right house. I didn't get we want to talk to Marilyn Heck. Marilyn Heck and Trash. What a juxtaposition. We know that. And oh. what happened? What but the was important that? thing is people, if you, you get close to being nominated, that's no, what it's all it's about. It's all right. It's, it's a big tease. Because four out of five of those girls are going to lose big time. Can I ask Way you? Way worse than me today. What happened? But what happened? I'm you were not doing... gonna lose. All right. All right. How can I think I'm going away if I'm not nominated? That's, that's what I mean. You came this close Stop to being nominated. It. I don't think you could have done I'm that. I'm gonna go to France. That's what a, for? How'd the French girl get in? Oh well, that French movie drives me nuts with the writing on the screen. But that's French. I always think it's late breaking it's news. French. She's yeah. not legal. She's then I'm gonna come back and they're gonna say, Oh la la, French. French foreign, you're so. Fu- right, Let's let me- give you all the awards. Yeah, <laughs> I say, fuck you. Whoa, you yeah, know, well, you heck- know is me. No, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, Go I- see Frenchie. No, I think they did a wonderful job. Best of luck. But I got so much food. Come on. Marilyn Heck. Now I know what it feels like to stare down into the Grand Canyon. Chuck Porter. And uh, it is Hollywood a spectacularly saying, brilliant performance from Catherine Howard, where she is. There's so much pathos and so much um, specificity about the character that she's playing. And it's some of the best drunk acting uh, there's ever been. But it's so, so funny. (laughs) But it's, yeah, I think that would be my favourite scene. And it's just pure performance. And yeah, it's another one where the genius of the mock doc is sort of uh, um, celebrating something that you wouldn't see in any other movie. Oh man, I'm so glad you brought that up for two reasons. Because I, I'm i not going to discuss for your consideration, but I certainly am going to discuss Catherine O'Hara uh, down the road here. And that leads me into nicely into my next pick, because I think that Christopher, Christopher Guest then, he went and created a, a, a perfect trilogy or three films of mockumentaries. Yeah. The first being uh, Waiting for Guffman. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And I just rewatched this at the weekend. And it is wonderful. It is an absolutely uh, beautiful little mockumentary. And it's it feels like its heart is in the right place. Sometimes these mockumentaries can be a little bit mean-spirited. Um, and maybe rightly so because of the, the, the subjects that he's covering. Like, you know, in Spinal Tap, there there's these, these arrogant, self-centered um, musicians. 
But in Guffman, it's a story about a small little community, amateur drama group, and uh, they're putting on performance of a show about uh, commemorating the 150 year anniversary of the of the, the of the town. And they get word that a an assistant from a Broadway producer is going to come and be there on opening night. And they've got one night to put the... Sh- they have basically one night to make all their dreams come true. And it's all run by um, uh, this uh, Broadway, ex-Broadway kind of uh, expert uh, called Corky St. Clair, who's played by Christopher Guest. And he's definitely not gay. He's definitely married. But he's so obviously, it's so obviously a ruse because he's blown in from New York and he's coming to this very conservative town. But what I love about it is that he ends up with his main cast. He has kind of like the first kind of like he's he, when he, his main cast is made up of his his regular kind of performers, his regular collaborators, and the guys of Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Fred Willard, uh, Parker Posey, and and well, Christopher Guest mainly, like, you know. But the scene I I picked from Waiting for Goffman is the audition scene, and <laughs> it's a scene where <laughs> Eugene Levy is uh, is a dentist. And he's got hopes and dreams of one day performing on the stage. And he comes in and he performs this musical, this musical rendition of like several songs. Hi. Maybe just I dream of Jeannie with a light brown hair. Floating like a vapor on the soft summer air. Look out, Camptown Racers sing this song. Do da, do da. Camptown Racetrack five miles long. Oh, do da day. Wind run all night, wind run all day. Bet my money on the bobtail nag. Somebody bet on the bay, 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 bay. Well, what I love about it is at the very end of it, it goes on for a little bit. At the very very end of it, when he finishes, we kind of cut to, he walks out and we cut to the kind of the uh, the judging panel, which is like Corky St. Clair and the musical director and another assistant. And they both turn to each other instead of kind of going, oh, that's awful. They go, he's good. Whoa, he's got. Whoa, he didn't know he had that in him. You know, that's certainly that their their bar has gone so low. But what's so funny about it is just Eugene Levy is just so brilliant and he's so funny, and to be able to sing that kind of like just not very good, kind of slightly bad, actually it takes a lot of skill and a lot of talent. But did you know, Kevin, how important uh, Eugene Levy is? in this collaboration and or that Eugene Levy is the guy who he kind of basically co-wrote um, Waiting for Goffman Best in Show and uh, A Mighty Wind yeah but I would say that all the performers his company of actors are basically writing those movies with him because uh, they may have yes. a, you know an outline of what the story is going to be about but the genius some of the lines that they come out with all improv so the cast are basically writing those those characters you're absolutely right and from what from the research i did do it actually turns out that he does they don't do any rehearsals they literally show up and they they perform that whatever comes out of their mouth is captured on on camera and it's the incredible story, yeah it's an outline a bare outline of a story um but the the writing as we've kind of discussed in previous episodes the the film is made in the editing and in the case of waiting for guffman an interesting happening which Christopher Guest basically 
in, in his first cut of the film, he had cut his character, Corky Sinclair, pretty much out of the film. Mm. And Eugene Levy, who was his kind of collaborator, his storytelling collaborator in this, said to him, he says, oh, I think you're missing a beat here. And he said, do you mind giving me a shot at editing the film? Oh, I didn't so know that. So Eugene Levy went in. Yeah, Eugene Levy was the one who actually went in and kind of reintroduced or reinstated and put the focus on Corky, Corky St. Clair because he is kind of the linchpin of this. He's the heart of this community. And all of a sudden the film works. And it's a beautiful film. Mm. It's a really lovely film because the performance that they put on, it's, the show that they put on is actually better than you expect it would be. Yeah. You know, but from all the rehearsals, you think this is going to be a disaster. But when they when it actually put when it actually goes on, they're they're actually not bad. They're, they're actually quite entertaining, and the people, the community love Corky, and Corky has put on previous and uh, successful shows in the past, and he's kind of become their storyteller. He's become their kind of he, the heart of that community in mm. a, in, a, in an unusual way, and you feel it from like people are in the people in the audience are crying at some of the stuff that's happening on stage, and it's very endearing. You don't expect that turn, do you? Where it it becomes about sort of um, it becomes much more heartfelt uh, rather than yeah. than mocking or making fun of the characters for their lack of ability yeah. or their their naivety. Yeah, exactly. And <clears throat> I know like from living in like up here we live in a small community and there's some brilliant drama stuff and musical stuff that goes on. But when you go it's all completely, you know, uh, completely amateur. But when you go to it, even though it's like not Broadway stuff, when you go to it, there's a sense of joy on seeing your neighbours on stage and the different guys. And a sense of a sense of, well, fair play to them for doing that. Fair play to them <laughs> for having a giving it a go, like, you know. And you enjoy it. You enjoy it as much as you would going to see a great film in the cinema. And that's kind of the essence that you capture in Waiting for Coffee, where it's not sneery, it's not looking down. But no, it's the, it's the joy of physical performance in front of you and kind of like seeing something being created in front of you. And um, It's being a part of a community. I think that's really what it is. And I think that's what he captures and he doesn't condescend and he doesn't patronise. Yeah. Um, I think there's... It's a lovely little film. It really is. It and is. I highly, highly recommend. And it's very easy. I, well, maybe it's hard to find. I actually don't know. No, no, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Waiting for Goffman is very good. So now that brings me on to my next, and I'm not going to spend too much talking about the next one, uh, but the next one is the third, uh, the second film in this kind of like trilogy, I would call. Because perfect, I'll tell perfect you this, mockumentary trilogy. I know where you're going and I think everyone knows where you're going because there, there are only two amazing mockumentaries that I think in, in terms of mainstream appeal that everyone would um, bring up. And we've already mentioned one of them. So yeah, yeah I think I know what the, what the number one is going to be. Okay, okay, okay. Um, the the other one is uh, the next one is Best in Show. Of what? Course. Wait. And yeah, that's wrong. Yeah. you're wrong, Will. Am I wrong? You're wrong. <laughs> Where did I go so wrong? You're wrong. Where did I go? Do you not like Best in Show? No, Best in Show is has got to be the number one. I'm going Best in Show number two. That's definitely. Outrageous. And you're I've got totally a reason. Wrong about that because I'll, I'll tell you why. You could take any scene from Best in Show and it would be the best mockumentary scene. There's just so many okay. to choose from. Okay. Well, Kevin, I watched, and I watched Best, I would actually say I've watched Best in Show more than any other of these uh, films. You're just being a contrarian. I, it's, it's, no, I'm genuinely not, I'm genuinely reacting to the experience. I, up to this weekend, I probably would have gone Best in Show, right? Okay. But I watched these films over the weekend and I've got something to say, I've got a take. And <laughs> uh, Best in Show is wonderful. Best in Show is, is a comfort film for me. Definitely. And Best in Show is like, it's one of, it's a film you can put on and you can just get just drawn into these characters and you can spend a lovely 90 minutes in their company. 
and feel like you've just been in a nice, warm, cosy sofa. It also has the wonderful addition of um, Jennifer Coolidge and Jane Lynch into that company of actors. And uh, yeah, yeah, uh, he's worked on them again and again. You've got so many. (laughs) That scene where Jennifer Coolidge is talking about her wealthy, wealthy, but very elderly husband. We could spend all the time talking or not talking. (laughs) (laughs) We both like soup. (laughs) I love that. <laughs> There's also a bit where Jane Lynch is like talking about um, her mother and, and how much her mother cared for the family until she committed suicide in 1981. And it's just a deadpan sort of <laughs> delivery of it. It's just so good. And they just kind of put that like on the cuff. They're, they're geniuses, that yeah. whole group of people that are so fucking talented. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's And and they stay in character and they just deliver. And they, they imp- the improvisation is just incredible. It's a joy to watch. Um, as I think, Kevin, you're right. You could pick any one of these, any any scene from this film, and it would be a best of bit. And but the bit I win for because I'm not mentioning, I haven't really mentioned him um, up to now, and I think he deserves a mention because he, he's appeared in all these films, including This Is Final Tap, and it's Fred Willard. God love him. He was amazing. Rest in peace, Fred. You're fantastic. You are, Fred. and he's fantastic. He was just such a he was such a warm. Personality on screen. There were there's a few of those actors where they just pop up and you you just like them no matter what. John Candy was another one. Yeah, um, but Fred Willard was yeah. just always like, oh, just love to see him in a film. Yeah, absolutely, and he's in this as a. I think he, my favorite performance of his in any of these films is in Best in Show, and I kind of said I got to go to his performance as the out of his depth commentator <laughs> at this Krupp's like dog uh, show. Now what is that? Is that that's a uh, a bloodhound, isn't it? No, I think this is a tremendous dog and I would say maybe in two to three years this could be a champion dog. But I just think it may be a tad immature for this year. Just trying to get a little playing time in. And take your dog down and back for me, please. Uh, you know what would be funny? I don't know if they can do this uh, uh, just an idea off the top of my head. Why did he put the blood on, put on one of those Sherlock Holmes hats and put a little pipe in his mouth? Are they ever allowed to do anything like that, dress up a dog in a funny way? No, that's, that's not quite what the purpose of these shows but is. But I think it would really get the crowd going. You know, you know what I mean? The Sherlock Absolutely. Holmes hat with the pipe. I don't know if you could make it look like smoke's coming out of the pipe. I think that would be a little dangerous. <laughs> I'd get a kick out of it. <laughs> He's so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why that film works so well Is just the inconsistency of This guy coming on and treating it like it's a sport event It's so funny It's so brilliant Now that looks like a fast dog Is that faster than a greyhound? If you put him in a race Who would come in first? If you had a little jockey on him going uh, Let me ask you this If you're going to put him on a football team Which would be your wide receiver Which would be your tight end? Who can go the farthest, the fastest? Well, I, I don't know any dogs that play football. <laughs> I'm having some fun with you. Yeah. Oh, he's he's fantastic. And it's a fantastic film. It really is. Um, but now, Kevin, I'm going to bring you to my best bit of all these best I'm bits. I'm shocked. And it, it, was a, it was as much a surprise to me as it was, as it is to you right now hearing this, right? But, but I think my best bit you, comes you from... Say, I think I, I'm, I'm figuring on. out what your take is. It's no making sense to me. Let me put it that way. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, my best bit is um, from what I consider to be Christopher Guest's final great film in, these, in this run of three mockumentaries. And it's from A Mighty Wind. And 
A Mighty Wind is this, it's, it's the least funny of these three films, mm. but it is honestly one of the loveliest and sweetest. And it's, of that it's I would say it's that fucking relationship, Kevin. The relationship between, well, the story, first of all, for anyone who hasn't, hasn't seen A Mighty Wind, so now I suppose a lot of people actually haven't watched A Mighty Wind compared to Spinal Tap and Best in Show. But it's a story about um, basically a group of 60s era folk musicians and who have all basically been inspired by the death of their former manager to get back together on stage for one final concert in um, New York's town hall. So there's like this big coming together of these of these three bands. As I travel down the back roads of this home I love so much The, the kind of the centre, the linchpin of the whole thing, and the most famous of 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 these bands is a is a couple, um, um, Mitch and Mickey, mm. and they're played by Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. And it was the film in which I watching it last night, my heart broke, and my heart just was elevated watching Catherine O'Hara because she's absolutely incredible. She is. Again. And she was sort of like in the background until, like career wise, she was always sort of like the 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 best friend or the mother or the, you know, she got to shine in the Christopher Guest films. But with Shit's yeah. Creek, she sort of had a a resurgence. And but she's always been brilliant, yeah. always been amazing. You think back, like from Home Alone. I think she's like very famous from Home Alone, being the mom there. But you know, and you would kind of almost typecast her, kind of go, "Oh, that's that mom." But you don't realize all the roles she's played. Yeah, from Second City onwards. And I'm delighted that she's gotten such acclaim and deservedly so for her performance in Schitt's Creek. And I'm delighted that it's come in a relationship between herself and Eugene Levy, because watching those films, you see that herself and Eugene Levy have always had this wonderful relationship on screen, this amazing chemistry, this natural effortless flow and and love for each other, which is completely apparent. Um, And what I love about A Mighty Wind is that it's an, it's a film that doesn't go for the for the easy laughs mm. all the time, and that's really apparent in the Mitch and Mickey storyline. When when Mickey well when like, when Mickey uh, Catherine O'Hara uh, Catherine O'Hara's character appears on screen, she's carrying her. She's not. She, she has no funny line in this entire film. She's got no funny gag, but I absolutely know that her character is so fully is so real and believable and so full of kind of beautiful poetry and music and she's so quiet and still and very you know she seems like a a true folk singer if you know what I mean someone who's shy who's very naturally shy but has this this talent to be able to create magic through her song 
And the storytelling of this is so simple as well, because as I've already laid out, it's a, a, a reunion tour, but there's, there's, they need to get all these bands back together. And the one they need is Mitch and Mickey. But Mitch and Mickey fell out in the mid-70s. They were, they were, um, they were a couple, mm. but they fell out dramatically. And, and poor Mitch just, it just broken, it completely broken. And to, for this reunion tour to work, they have to come together. And they have this iconic song, um, at the end of a rainbow, I think was the name of the song. But there's a pivotal moment in that song, in the performance of that song, where they kiss. They do it, and at, the whole film. They do it at the Oscars as well. The whole, everyone applauded. They, they have uh, kiss. Oh man, it, the whole, it's so beautiful, and it's so pivotal in this whole film that they get on stage and they perform this song. And you, as an audience member, as if watching this film, you are wondering, are they going to kiss? And you want them to kiss. And it's the scene of them on stage performing that song. And I'm not watching it like all the other films laughing my ass off, going, oh, these are ridiculous and this is, you know, that's um, hilarious or whatever. This was something where I was like going, this is truly, this is true love. I'm seeing an improvised true love happening on screen. And it's happening because of the relationship between Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara and how fa- absolutely fantastic they are incredibly are and it's a lovely 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 little uh, film so that's why I have no choice but to go for the obvious choice in Christopher Guest but the not so obvious choice of the final scene in Mighty Wind so that's my best pick Kevin fantastic fantastic So Kevin, that was, yeah, that was my pick, um, and uh, and I don't regret it. I'm so, are you are you regretting the fact that I didn't pick best in show? No, of course not. I'm actually really looking forward to watching a mighty win though. After that, um, I thought that was a, yeah. a, a lovely sort of a celebration of not just Catherine Arrow but of Christopher Guest and the company of actors and that story itself. So I'm yeah. raring to go. I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we've got business to do. We've got business, of, uh, you know, to do. Okay, but keep in mind, I'm still editing fight scenes, so <laughs> please. <laughs> please. Six months later, <laughs> Kevin is still editing fight scenes. Uh, <laughs> Poor Kevin. Okay, well, spin Right, okay. Um, Are you ready for this pain? Are you ready for pain? Okay. And we're spinning. <laughs> spinning, 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 spinning. Spinning and okay, Kevin. Yes, you ready for this? No. So your <laughs> your topic for next week is best post credit scene. Oh, well, okay. what do you think? <laughs> okay, best post credit so uh, scene. It's right. Okay, best post credit scene. Okay, there's no other podcast that's that not doing bad. that. That's actually. <laughs> But you know what? That's not bad because they're so, you know, they're so few. I, There's not that many, I, can, I don't I, think. I can only think of the Marvel ones at the moment. I'm going to have to do some research. Oh, there's more. The easiest and most obvious and best answer to this 
is the post-credit scene in He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Oh God, where they promised that they were going to come back, back and up. they never did. Yeah. <laughs> Frank Frank Langella pops his head back up. I will be back. You know, so that was it. <laughs> no, lion bastards. Okay, both best post-credit scene. Well, okay, yeah, I, I can handle that. I I think I can handle that. Yeah, man. You need it. You need something that's not, you know, best best drama scene, Kevin. <laughs> best dramatic <Yeah>. scene ever. <laughs> best death scene. Be here um, all week. <laughs> so, Kevin, let's kill this podcast. Where can people find you? They can find me um, huddled over the laptop editing fight scenes, uh, but also on Twitter uh, at Kevin Lee Han. And where can they find you, Will? Uh, they can find me, uh, you know, rewatching A Mighty Wind <laughs> and also on Twitter under Willem's Film, W-I-L-L-U-M-S-F-I-L-L-U-M. And you can find our show's uh, podcast uh, Twitter handle under Best Bits, at Best Bits Pod, isn't that That us? is. And also you can and, send us um, emails, you know. Uh, well, hopefully just one yes. email. But um, at Best Bits Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, so email us. And of course, as yeah. always, we want to hear your picks. Like, share, subscribe, rate, review us. Uh, get the word out there because we would love more and more people to be um, uh, listening to us uh, or discovering us, I guess is a better way to put it. But yeah, yeah. that's the sales pitch and over. See you next you. week. <laughs> and thanks. Yes, that's and hey, thanks to all the people who are getting in touch with us, and there's so many people who are, you know, loving the podcast, and we really appreciate it's millions, all of no? your comments. It's so many, millions. Wow, we can say that because oh it's mocked up. <laughs> it's all fake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the greatest podcast in the history of the universe. Imagine that so soon. As it well. actually is. Um, I love it. <laughs> Kevin, that was good. Kevin, that was surprisingly hysterical. That was so much fun. Um, Goodbye, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. See ya. The Best Bits Podcast is produced by Will and Kevin. All audio clips and music heard in this episode is the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. If you have any notes, comments, scene suggestions, or just want to get in touch with us, email us at bestbitspodcast at gmail.com. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. The best bits for Will and Kevin. No, the best bits for Kevin Willem. For the films and the, the TV and the latest films. Something, something, something. something. Um, don't forget that you owe us 3 euro. <laughs> you okay. can't remember what. <laughs> oh my god. I, I did a whole Irish theme. The best bits for Kevin Willem. Talking deviantly. Okay, right. I'm going to find the fucking thing. Because it's going to be the music to start the episode. I don't think I've heard this. You have. Well, maybe you haven't. I don't think I have heard this. I do. I suspect that what you do is you just put the laugh and emoji thing. And think I'll listen to that some other time. Fuck it, that'll do. Because it's bound to be funny in his eyes. So I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. I actually only laugh the emoji when I've actually listened to it. I should have taken the hint that nobody was responding to the Podbot one. Like, nobody was giving me any reaction to it. And oh. I thought, they hadn't listened to it yet. And then, yeah. of course, I was delighted with that. And people hated it. <laughs> it's not, it, was, it, was, it wasn't easy on the ears in the, in the sense that it was just her monotone voice. So there was no up and down. 
That's the thing. Yeah, I know. I tried my best. You're a bug and I'm a feature. Pray to this mantis or I'll eat you. And if you don't know my name, here's an update to teach you. I'm, I'm, I'm Hogus and I'm the future. An AI podcasting computer. The number one zero one zero zero one one producer. Yeah, that's exactly She's good. Good. So, Don't forget now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage. Not, I've not, I've, I've not heard this. I swear to God, I'm going to send it to you right now, and you can get a genuine reaction. I'll actually listen to it. So I'm, I have my WhatsApp open. The best is Kevin Willem about the telly and the latest film. Talking shite at the dynamic duo. Don't forget now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage, Oda. <laughs> that's genuinely my first time hearing that. <laughs> I just could easily have just scrubbed it from my memory. That's the other thing that could have happened. How do you operate? I I I generally just go on impulses. So if I need to toilet, I just toilet, and does I that doesn't necessarily mean I need to be Squat, in the proximity like a of a toilet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying you just go. I just nappy it, Kevin. I just man. I just adult nappy it. Oh, we've got loads to talk about. Um, I've watched a load of things. So have I. But I think I should get one thing off my chest straight away because I think the discourse out there sometimes can feel really artificial to me and it can feel like people will films to be worse than they are in order to have something to point at and ridicule and sort of create content about should I start the timer? Is this, have we just started? Start the timer because I'm rare okay. to go. I saw Madam Web. Right. I honestly, guys, know nothing. All I all I know is I saw a poster. Oh, very recently, it went. There's a Madam Web film, and I'm. What is this? So it's a Spider Verse adjacent Marvel movie. Yeah, it's it's one of these Sony things where they did Venom and they're doing Craven the Hunter, okay. and it's sort of an offshoot of. The Spider-Man movies, but I don't right. know what universe they're in because they're trying to blend them all together. So, is this the Tobey Maguire Spider-Verse? To me, it feels like it's in that space. Mm. Anyway, I thought I'm done with superhero movies. I'm just over them. I watched Captain Marvel not re- long ago, and I thought it was just tedious. Are you it's so like the Marvels, not Captain Marvel. Is that what Marvels? Well, yeah. she's in it. Captain Marvel. Captain yeah. Marvel two. It was just sort of like, it was another one of those films that felt like Ant-Man in that everything was chemical and synthetic and fake and Mm -hmm. airless. And, you know, you just have sound stage after sound stage. And I just feel profoundly depressed watching those films. I feel like there's nothing organic happening in these. From the lines of dialogue to the hairstyles to the costumes to the sets to the music to everything just feels it's artificial wafer thin just wafery artificially no sustenance no satisfaction you know protein in it whatsoever you feel like oh wow I just I just put something down my throat and I'm still hungry it feels like eating plastic okay on the whole it's just drifted so far away from what Iron Man was that I just don't care about them yet I found The Flash really fun because it was it felt like a Bill and Ted type movie at times. It was off the wall bonkers and I don't really particularly give a shit about special effects. Whether they're good or bad, you know, I can buy into it because of the ideas behind it or the concepts behind it. So I wasn't like revolted by the, the special effects of The Flash. I just thought, you know, it's funny to see babies falling out of windows and being put into microwaves and things like that. So I went into Madame Web not really giving a fuck about the genre but I wanted to see it for the sake of having an opinion on it and 
The trailer was awful. It had that terrible line reading in it from the Dakota Johnson where she's, she's shitting out exposition. And I think people had the film's cards marked at that stage. And uh, the film itself, to me, played like a Final Destination action thriller. And I thought it was really pleasant. It didn't bother me in the slightest. I didn't have any of the issues that everybody else has. It was uh, a reluctant hero with no superpowers whatsoever other than having premonitions, trying to keep three teenage girls alive against somebody who's like the evil version of Spider-Man who wants to murder them. And they just played that out in a very cinematic way where it felt like a Sam Raimi type Spider-Man. It looked as good as that. It was all real locations. For me, it felt like a lovely throwback to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. And I don't get why everybody loads the film. I thought it was just fun. Oh, wow. Uh, all I've yeah. seen is the negative discourse. And you're the first voice. I believe, you know, I haven't listened to the episode because I haven't watched the film yet. I know the Cinemile uh, had differing views. Oh, fuck. Me and Kathy, we were the, so far the only people that I know who don't think the film is dire. But Dave almost had a hernia on that episode. It was very <laughs> enjoyable listen to listening to it. <laughs> Oh, I had to listen to it. He was, I'm really curious. I'm really he was curious. disgusted because Caddy was pushing back and I thought it was very, very funny. And then when I saw it, I was like, do you know what? I am actually on the side of Caddy here. This is actually grand. Right. This is actually grand. So I, <laughs> <laughs> but you That's know so what? Funny. It didn't feel like a superhero movie. So I liked it for that reason. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to look up some of the, the credits. And I like Dakota um, Johnson's performance as well. She was playing this sort of curmudgeonly antisocial character. And to put that type of person in the role of having to be a protector is actually really fun for me. And it's a role that you don't see many female characters inhabiting. That's more like a Harrison Ford type role. And um, I enjoyed it. So I don't get why everyone is shitting their britches over it. It's grand. <laughs> <laughs>